So in Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Hapihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zathon, and you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, What is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped by the sea at Pihahirath in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I've gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. The waters were being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh. 
that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. I remember there were times in my life when at bedtimes I'd get thinking about things sometimes, and sometimes I'd get a little nervous or scared, or maybe I'd make, wake up with a dream or something like that, and I'd get scared. And, and I remember calling out for my mom, and, and my mom, she handled it differently at different times. Sometimes she would just lay down with me. And she'd say, well, you know what, I'll lay down with you for a little while as you fall back to sleep. And she would kind of comfort me with her presence there. And at other times, she uh, taught me to pray, asking God to, to watch over us. You know, as you think about both of those things, they're, they're both kind of doing the same thing. In one of those actions, she comforts me with her presence. In another of those actions, she points me toward God and, and helps me to be comforted in His presence. That's what God is doing is He's there with Israel. And it should be a comfort to them. They don't, they don't always real quick to be a people of faith. You remember at the very first when Moses first came to them and told them God's going to deliver you? They're like, yeah, we believe. They're worshiping. And then as soon as they got any repercussions from Pharaoh, they're like, what are you doing? Leave us alone to Moses. And then they fail in their faith. Well, they do the same thing here to start with also. As they see Pharaoh's army coming after them, they respond to Moses and say, "What? wasn't there enough graves in Egypt? Why couldn't you have left us there? We'd be better off serving the Egyptians than dying here in the wilderness. And Moses, actually Moses doesn't even do it. God does it through Moses. He helps them to see the presence of God and that God is there with them and He carries them through it. And what does He do in the end? He defeats their enemies who are coming to pursue them, the Egyptians, drowning them in the sea. And Israel is safe on the other side. And the very next song in chapter 15 is a song that they break out into songs, singing and dancing, celebrating that God had delivered them in this miraculous way. But it all happened because of the presence of God. They were experiencing God's presence. We see that throughout this whole thing. Because what does God do? As soon as He gets them out of Egypt, He he makes His presence known through two things. A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, it's going to have some practical advantages too because if He's leading them through His pillar of fire, they can travel in the night too because they'll still have some brightness. But the whole point is that it signifies God's presence. It's going to continue to do that even as they get to the other side of the Red Sea and they wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. There's God still going to have the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire which is going to be sending over the Holy of Holies and the tabernacle after they get that put together. But the whole thing signifies God's presence with them. Remember at the very beginning of coming into the book of Exodus, we talked about how God is going to deliver His people in the first half of the book and He's going to dwell with His people in the second half of the book. That's the hinge point that we're at right now. God is in the midst and doing both of those things. He's delivering His people and He is dwelling with His people. And you know, it's the same thing that God does today. When God comes in to our lives and shows us the truth of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that He died on the cross and rose again from the dead for us, what is He doing? He's pointing us toward His deliverance. That is how He delivers us from our sin. And what is the point of the deliverance but to dwell with us? We see the very beginning, just the tip of the iceberg, is God puts His Holy Spirit within our hearts 
so that we experience the presence of God in our life now. And that way He dwells with us. But that's only even the tip of the iceberg, the Bible tells us. You know when you go to buy a house and you put down earnest money? You're saying, here's my offer, here's $1,000, here's $2,000 to guarantee that I'm going to come with the rest. I'm going to go get the financing and I'm going to come with the rest of the money to pay for the whole thing. The Bible tells us that Holy Spirit that is dwelling within us, dwelling with us, is just the earnest money of our inheritance. It's just the down payment. But what's going to happen is when we go to be with God or He comes back for us, we are going to be dwelling with Him forever after that point. It's not going to be just the Holy Spirit in our hearts. It's going to be us living physically with Him forever. That is how we experience the presence of God. Now, it should have been very comforting. His presence in the cloud and in the fire should have given them a lot of confidence as they're going to be dwelling with Him in that wilderness for the next 40 years. Let's see four different aspects that are going to point out of experiencing God's presence. The first one is, it's a continual presence. Because notice as they come out, that God comes to them in a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. The point is that they have God how much of the time? 24-7. His presence with them is continual. And you know what? That's what we have. You've all probably seen that, uh, that picture, the footprints in the sand, I think it's called. There's two foot sets of footprints in the sand, and then all of a sudden there's one set of footprints in the sand. And the poem goes on and says, you know, God, I could see you walking with me back here, but then when the trials of my life and the struggles of my life got hard, now I only see one set of footprints. Where were you when I needed you? And God says, those are my footprints. That's when I was carrying you. Well, that's, that's the point. God was with Israel when He gave them His presence. He gave it to them day and night. It doesn't mean that there aren't going to be some challenges. In fact, God wants to try their faith. I see two reasons Pharaoh's coming after him in the passage. One is that God is not done with Pharaoh. And so He's got His will in Pharaoh to show the Egyptians, look, I'm the Lord, not that Pharaoh, and not your other gods. I will get glory over Him. And secondly, he's using it to try Israel's faith. God takes Israel out there and he kind of leads them back and forth in the wilderness a little bit. So the Pharaoh, obviously he's scouting them out and he knows what they're doing. He's saying, oh, they're just wandering around the wilderness. They're lost. They're confused. I'm going to go attack them. And so he kind of baits Pharaoh in that way. But he also has Israel kind of pinned up against the sea with Pharaoh coming after him. And he wants to try their faith. What are they going to do? Well, they do the wrong thing. They start crying out, why, why didn't you leave us in Egypt? Why didn't you leave us alone? Why did you do this? And God's allowing them a, a little bit of testing. Everything that's testing should be something that will grow us, something that will strengthen us. I was talking to somebody on the phone the other day, and, and they were talking about how there was a pathway up ahead, but you know they weren't so sure they were too excited about it because it stresses them out. And, and, uh, and I said, well, you know, whatever, whatever stresses you should also stretch you, so maybe it's a good thing. And they're like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> you know but but that, that's the point. That, that is the way it works. Whatever stresses us does tend to stretch us. It does tend to... And that's what God does in our life a lot of times with hardships and, and struggles. He allows them to come in because He's stretching us. He's growing us. He's strengthening us. So as they're experiencing God's presence, it doesn't mean that they aren't going to have some hardship and some testings. But God is there for them 24-7. He's there with them continually. You know, the Bible tells us that we should take heart in that kind of presence of God and it should make an impact on our life. Hebrews chapter 13 in verse 5 and 6, it says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. 
You know, that area of money and contentment is a great place of stress in our lives. I remember reading at one point that said that 85% of divorces signified that money was a big part of the issue. We allow a lot of stress in our life over, over money and the lack thereof or, or what to do with it. God says, don't worry about it. Why not? For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? One of the number one stress agents in our life, money, God's saying, don't, you don't need to stress about that because I'm not leaving you. God's presence should impact the way that we face life. But then also we, we see a promise again from Jesus to the disciples in Matthew chapter 28. In verses 18 through 20, this is after Jesus has died. He's resurrected from the dead. He's about to ascend up into heaven. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. He's given them a task to do and, and by extension giving us a task to do, taking the gospel to our community and to the world. And he says, as you do that, now obviously they're going to face some persecution and things just as Jesus had faced. He said, but don't worry. I'm going to be with you and I'm going to be with you all the way to the end. My presence with you is going to be continual. And you can take confidence in that. Whether you're going through a time of joy and celebration or a time of struggle and challenge or a time of sorrow, God is still with you. He's not forsaking you. But then not only do we see that God's presence is a continual presence, we also see that His presence is a guiding presence. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire is out in front of them. And He's leading them. He's guiding them to where He wants them to go. In fact, His guidance is gracious because as we look through in the passage, it said that God said, I'm not going to lead them over toward the Philistines. And the quickest way to get from where they were in Egypt up to the promised land is through the, the area of the Philistines. And God says, we're not going there. Now, the reason that he gives for not going there, you're dealing with a lot of people. There's about 600,000 men, it says, plus the women and children. And so when you're looking at 3 million people, say, and they come up through the area of the Philistines, it's going to make the Philistines very nervous. They are going to not just allow them to come through their property. They're going to come out and meet them before they get to town. And God says, I don't want to scare off the Israelites. They're not ready for that yet. He's keeping them from what they're not ready for. You know what? He does the same thing in your life and mine. In the Bible, He's promised us that He won't let any temptation come into your life that you can't handle. And with every one of them, He will give you a way out, a way of escape. Now, that should be very encouraging to us because that means... We can have success in every situation that we find ourselves in. We can overcome. We can have success. We can handle it correctly. Not only that, but we see God's leadership in other passages like, like in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You realize what that's saying? In your life, God has a purpose he has a lot of different good works that are labeled here. Good works that He wants you to do and that He wants me to do. That God has laid them out in advance in our life. The good things that you've already been able to participate in and the good things that you were able to do for other people and other situations and for God Himself, God put those there. 
It was God that led you into those and God who guided you through those things. He put those there ahead of time for you to participate in. In the rest of your life, God has a whole string of things lined up in front of you that you're going to get to experience and go through. Good things that you get to do. And they're there because God has put them there and He's going to lead you through them so that you can accomplish them. That's an awesome thing. That's a, that's a wonderful purpose. But it doesn't happen unless God is step-by-step step guiding us, leading us into situations and circumstances, bringing us across where we meet different people and, and all kinds of different things that we experience so that we can perform those good works that God has already prepared for us to do before we even know that they're there. God's presence is a guiding presence. He leads in our lives. Well, not only that, but it's also a protecting presence. Because we see God protecting them from the Egyptians. I love the part where it talks about Pharaoh and his armies are coming and Israel is shaking in their boots and they're not really having a strong moment of faith like you would hope that they would have. But you know what? God's going to protect them anyway. That's encouraging too because you know what? I don't always do right by God. I don't always stand there as a pillar of faith when trials come. Sometimes I panic and sometimes I stress a little bit. But you know what? God protects them in spite of their panic in spite of their, what's coming out of their mouth at the moment, in spite of all these things, God still protects them. And I love what the passage says. It says that the angel and the pillar of the cloud and the pillar of the fire, it says he moves. And he moves to the back. God has led them up to the Red Sea. And now here comes Pharaoh and his army. And what does God do? It says that the pillar of the cloud, the pillar of the fire, it moves around Israel to the back of Israel. The point of it is this. The God who led you into the circumstances also has your back. That's an awesome thought. But that's exactly what God is telling you in this passage. God is telling you, I lead you, I guide you into these circumstances and these situations. Don't worry, I've also got your back. So God's presence is a, is a protective presence as well. And then lastly, we see that God's presence also is a memorial presence. We touched on it a little bit last week. But there's such a strong presence of memorial in chapters 12 and 13 coming into 14. He spells out three of them. He gives them the memorial of the Passover, which we talked about pretty extensively last week, so we won't go too much into that, where they took the blood and they put it on the lintel above the door and the two doorposts, and then God passed over the children of Israel in the judgment and spared their firstborn. And then He also gives them the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was for a week. They were supposed to eat only unleavened bread, nothing leavened. In the Passover, they cleaned the leaven out of their house because that's a symbol of sin. But then there's also another aspect of it where God said, for seven days you're going to eat unleavened bread because God, when He pulled Israel out of Egypt, they went so fast that they didn't have time to let the bread rise. And so they were going to eat unleavened bread every year for a week to commemorate that. The other one is the firstborn. God said, you're going to consecrate to me right at the beginning of chapter 13, the firstborn. God says, all the firstborn, since I spared your firstborn and killed the Egyptians, every firstborn is mine. Now, this stems back to Exodus chapter 4. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, God said to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn. And if you don't let my firstborn go, I'm going to kill your firstborn. God's commitment toward Israel is his firstborn son. It's because of that. He protected Israel's firstborn through that plague of the death of the firstborn. And now God says, all the firstborn of Israel are mine. And so, 
then you've got to redeem him back. Every firstborn of Israel's animals and their sons had to be redeemed before God. So you've got three different memorials that take place here. As we consider this idea of memorials, it's amazing that God is giving them these three memorials even though his presence is going to go with them. God is going to be in the wilderness with the children of Israel through the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. God is going to go into the promised land with the children of Israel. Even though God's presence is going to stay with them, he still wants these three memorials. Memorials have a value. They have a purpose. People do it all over the world. And I think it's because we recognize the value of marking certain events. Washington, D.C., I uh, read a CBS, or, yeah, CBS uh, article on it a while back, and uh, they said at that time there was over 160 monuments and memorials in Washington, D.C. So many that they decided to put a moratorium on those things. So in other words, no new monuments, no new memorials in Washington, D.C. But as they put the moratorium on they already had three exemptions that they were allowing to be exempt. So as they're saying, okay, no more memorials in Washington, D.C., well, okay, except for this one. Well, okay, except for that one, too. Yeah, that one could, we should have that one. <laughs> so, and so they're already adding those things. 160 of them in one city. In the state of Minnesota, if you look up just a veterans' memorials, and I had to count them because they're all listed in this registry, there's 364 veterans' memorials alone in Minnesota. I wanted a number for the United States, but I couldn't find anybody that counted them, and I wasn't going to do it. 9-11 memorials throughout the world, and I think predominantly in the U.S., of course, but throughout the world, there are over 1,000 9-11 memorials. Because we recognize that it's important to put a stake in the ground sometimes and say, we're not going to forget this. The, these memorials that I've mentioned the numbers on, they don't even count all the roads that are named after people and airports that are named after people and parks that are named after people because of accomplishments. These three things are things that God said, you're going to drive a stake in the ground because I want you to stay focused here. And that's what memorials do. Memorials focus us. They help us to stay focused on the things that are important. Notice um, in chapter 13 and verse 16. It says, it shall be, he's talking about the memorial of the firstborn, when they redeem the firstborn. He says, it shall be as a mark on your hand and frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. God says, this is what this is going to be like. This memorial is going to be something that's constantly in your vision, constantly focused. That's why we have memorials. I love it. When we look back at our history, I remember talking to somebody one time and they were making the point, they said, America was never a Christian nation. And you know, all I had to do was point to the memorials. I said, you know, I don't understand how you can say that. Because if you go out to the East Coast, it is literally engraved in stone up and down the East Coast that we are a Christian nation. You have to go with a hammer, chisel, grinders, jackhammers to get rid of the fact that we are a Christian nation. Because it's in concrete. It's in stone out there. It records that history for us. And why did our forefathers do that? Because they wanted us to keep focused. They wanted us to recognize where our liberty comes from. It comes from the foundation of having a Christian nation. So within the principles of Christianity. You know what? The Bible often did that with Israel. Said, gave them memorials and said, you need to stay focused. He says, these memorials that I give to you today, these are to be like frontlets between your eyes. They're to be like writing on your hands. If you don't want to forget something, what do you do? You write it on your hand. 
I see people often doing that, writing it on their hand. The old idea of putting a string on your finger so that you don't forget. God says, look, that's what this is going to be like. This is going to keep you focused in the right direction. And in the New Testament, we have the same thing in Luke 22. We're celebrating it today. He took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In 1 Corinthians, it recounts the event and it says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You see, what is Jesus doing there? He's focusing us. Focusing us on the death and the resurrection that he accomplished for us. That's what memorials do. They help us to stay focused. But not only do they do that, they have another purpose that we see all through this passage. And that is that they educate. In chapter 13, in verse 14, it says, And when in time to come your son asks you, What does this mean? You shall say to him, By a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. Back up in verse 8, he says, You shall tell your son on that day, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. If we back up into chapter 12, In verse 14, he says, This day shall be for you Memorial Day, and you shall keep it as a feast of the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute, you shall keep the feast. In uh, the last part of verse 17, he says, Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In verse 24, he says, You shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as He has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for He passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when He struck the Egyptians but spared our houses and the people bowed their heads and they worshipped. And so we're supposed to use memorials, these things where we drive a stake in the ground or we make a monument, to teach our children what God has done for us. That's why in our church, even, even when we had junior church, when we had junior church and the kids were all down at junior church and then we'd always bring them up early on the Lord, days that we'd have the Lord's Supper. Bring them up in here. So Why? They don't even get to have Lord's Supper unless they've been baptized. Because that's kind of the logical progression of it. We don't have an absolute command in the New Testament. Even in, in Exodus here, it talked about until they were circumcised, they didn't get to participate in the Passover if they were a foreigner. And so it's not really until the child comes to Christ that the Lord's Supper means anything to them. So they're not allowed to have it. But we still have all those kids come up and sit through the Lord's Supper. Why? Because I want that juice to go before them. You see, little kids are always the ones getting the juice and the crackers. We don't provide that stuff usually for adults. But the little kids are always the ones in Sunday school and stuff. They always get the juice and the crackers, the juice and the crackers. I want them to all of a sudden sit here and have to watch the juice and the crackers pass them by. Just because I like to torture little kids. (laughs) No, obviously not. Because I want them to torture you. You see, I want them to go home and say, Mom, Dad, Grandma, Grandpa, why didn't I, why can't I have a cracker? Why can't I have the juice? Because then you get to explain it all to them. That you need to make a decision. It's at some point in your life, you need to trust in Christ. This is what Christ did for us. He died on the cross and He rose again from the dead. And this is what the blood is symbolized in. And this is what the, His body is symbolized in. And, and just explain that whole thing to them. It's an awesome object lesson. 
And it helps draw those young kids into salvation and help them to understand it. That's what God wants us doing with these memorials. So God's presence in our life, we experience it in many different ways or many different aspects of it. We recognize that it's a continual presence. When, when God comes, when He shows up, He moves in. The Holy Spirit indwells us. He's there 24-7. It's continual. It's also guiding. He guides us into things that He wants us to participate in. And sometimes He guides us into things that are challenging with a good reason, with good purpose. And so He guides us in that way. The same God that guides us also protects us. He has the rear guard as well. He's got our backs also. And then also His presence is to be experienced through memorials like the Lord's Supper. Those memorials help us to stay focused on the things that are important and we need to stay focused on. And they give us an avenue for teaching our children and our grandchildren about the reasons why we do these things.